everyone. Welcome to the seventh episode of the For Instance podcast. I'm Sarah Music, and as always, I'm joined by Sarbjeet Johal. Hi, Sarbjeet. Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good, good. Good. We're grateful for uh, you all joining us today. We're going to cover some intriguing and some of them, you know, worrisome developments in tech. And, you know, I would say 2023 has been one of the more active years we've seen recently in tech. So there's there's a lot to talk about. So what's what's on the top of your list this week, Sarbjeet, as far as what's going on in the market? So well, just, just before we, we started recording, we mm-hmm. talked about what's going on in Israel. And that has happened since we recorded our last episode. You know, what we saw was so gruesome to start with um, the attacks on uh, Israel in it was barbarian. You can't think that this will happen in this century, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then after that, what transpired and it's lingering on and more people are sort of dying on the other side of the border now. Um, the there's proxy war, you know, it starts happening, you know, countries start, start sporting each other and the mobs are in streets a little bit more now. Um, it, it, it got um, bigger than, which was, it already was a huge problem, but then it got even bigger. So, so disheartening to see kids and on TV getting hurt and bombs, you know, falling on people. And we were talking like how, like we, we are all tech enthusiasts and, you know, creating products and changing, have dreams of changing the world. When we see, see this kind of destruction and death in front of our eyes, everything takes the backstage. And uh, I've been to Israel a couple of times and seen people and met people. I've seen the places where this thing is happening. Uh, some of those places, not all of them. I've been to Jerusalem as well. It's lovely people, you know, they're all people are nice, you know, I, I bet you share the same feelings right yeah we did think it was important to you know honor and acknowledge what's going on over there honor the the human suffering the humanitarian crisis that this represents of course because it it, it is a reminder to me what a luxury we have to be, be able to enjoy and dive into and wrestle with and sometimes even you know have conflict about technology and innovation and the the push forward of human thought all of that is you know fantastic and you know potentially life enhancing but it is a reminder you know that we we are able to enjoy you know just a tremendous uh luxury in that because it it reminds us when your basic safety or the basic safety of innocent civilians and children and you know the elderly when that's when that's called into question, it, it's a reminder of what's important in life. So, I am grateful that yeah. you know we enjoy the safety that we do, um, but you know, definitely thinking about the folks over there for sure. All right, so let's let's come back to tech. Uh, in tech, actually, keeping in mind all this human suffering back of our mind. In tech, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, HashiCorp event happened. I was at a single store event yesterday. Uh, I, I know you, you're going to talk about a few of these topics and LinkedIn layoff, Apple 
loses top stop in top spot in China as uh, their uh, smartphone uh, sort of leader, if you will. And the Adobe Max happened just this week. Um, was it last last week? Actually, it happened uh, from eight to twelfth. Yes, and um, yeah, and you have some topics, right? Addition to this. Yes, absolutely. Microsoft. So. Um, you know, a couple others, the sort of rumors that Microsoft is looking into nuclear energy, you know, I thought that was really interesting. And also the Biden administration's continued efforts to curb AI chip exports to China. I think both of those are not noteworthy. Yeah, yeah. And there are a bunch of miscellaneous other things as well. So, yeah, um, you want to talk about what first? Let's talk about the 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 chip the ban first, right? It, it it has been tightened. Like there's more ban. Like there's more tightening of the um, restrictions on China. Like what they can get and what they cannot. Yes. Uh, what do you what What's your take? Yeah, you know, I. So first, we can talk about kind of what's going on, and then unpack. You know the relative advantages and potential drawbacks. So the, you know, two of the companies that are most, I would say, specifically impacted are NVIDIA and Intel and to some extent AMD, but, you know, companies that manufacture uh, AI, so-called AI chips in particular um, will end up being impacted by this. So NVIDIA, of course, being uh, on the the drive that they are, the wonderful drive that they are, they have said that they don't necessarily think that in the main this will impact their revenues all that much because there's so much demand elsewhere. But it's hard hard to believe that a, a market as you know as massive as China is wouldn't necessarily impact things altogether. Uh, it's a continuing of looking to close you know, maybe loopholes by the administration uh, in trade restrictions that they they kind of started last year. And um, I understand what they're trying to do. This is not entirely unprecedented in the sense of limiting exports or limiting imports in, in a way that defends American interests from powers that we wouldn't call hostile powers, but certainly aren't as uh, friendly as potentially they could be. I think it is a bit heavy handed. And I, I think sometimes moves like this in the past have backfired a bit because what it ends up doing is hard, you know, harming a bit American industry. Having said that, not wanting, not wanting potentially our own tech to be used against us or against interests that we have is very understandable. So I think it's a fraud issue. What what do you think, Sarbjeet? Yeah, uh, going to my economics sort of roots, protectionism doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and open systems flourish more, open economies flourish more, and protectionism, protecting your industry with tariffs or all these kind of, you know, creating, you know, walls for other countries not to get to your technology, it, it, it renders your tech comp companies to be not, competitive at the world stage, right? Well, of course, we know that China is behind in this sort of scenario and there's a Taiwan issue and 
we want to bring back the sort of capacity here and in know-how as well not only the capacity but know-how you know um the workforce and all that stuff right um but i think just ratcheting up on under the show on, under the national security sort of uh banner or, or i think we're putting too much under that you know so like maybe we are using that as an excuse to twist uh, china's arm to get some business deals done or or um it's a political sort of uh, arm twisting as well you know like hey the war is going on and and how china is acting up and all that stuff you know so yeah and I, 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 think I think sometimes there can be a little bit of a a fit of peak and i say that cautiously because international trade relations you know global economic situations have to be dealt with carefully and sometimes you have to do so with a strong approach so you have to yeah. you have to demonstrate a posture that's secure in the knowledge that you do have some weight to throw around because you don't want to get pushed around but i do think sometimes stuff like this can happen in a fit of peak where you know a a, a particular country is mad and so they are looking to make things a little harder, which is can't be fair, but sometimes there are unintended consequences attached to that. So it, it's it's yeah. difficult. I I mostly worry about American industry being unnecessarily penalized. That's what I, I that's what yeah. I worry about. Yeah, yeah. actually, it's a lot like human relations, right? Like uh, I tell my my kids and all people around me my friends <laughs> that like in relationships, like country it's country level relationships versus individual, keep some distance, you know, like don't rely too much on one person. Don't spend all your emotional energy on one person. Right? Or, or yeah. So that's like, we rely too much on China for too long. Actually, that was our mistake. And now it's backfiring. If we had kept that distance, like like when you're driving on the road, I use that analogy. When you're driving on the road, if you keep the distance, the, the chances of accident are very low, right? You bump, <laughs> there's a roadblock and they right. stop, and you bump into them. That's what's happening right now, right? So uh, keep the distance and, um, and, but, you know, rely on people or countries to country, but, but don't over rely, you know? So that's the, I think that's the trick. But uh, and also on top of that, we being a democracy, and also in China, Chinese authorities are, have also they have the need to keep the people calm. You know, there's a public sentiment as well, and media flares that as well. So in democracies, like people want to win another term, and they want to be tough on China. A tough on China means more votes. You know. So it's a, there's a lot of <laughs> there are a lot of factors why people do what they do. Maybe they don't want to do some stuff certain way because it's anti-inflationary in a way that we're trying to fight inflation, but at the same time we're trying to fight China, which is a pill to fight inflation in many ways for us. Um, it's crazy, um, vicious loops. Um, that, yeah, it's. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's move to the nuclear energy. Like you, you mm -hmm. want to talk about that, Microsoft. Uh, hiring some people yeah i thought that was interesting there was a story that trickled out just recently um as a result of a requisition that uh microsoft is looking to hire for 
related to um, nuclear reactors. So, you know, in other words, nuclear nuclear energy. And so there there does seem to be this growing suspicion that Microsoft is in the process of looking into nuclear energy for its its cloud data centers and also for AI initiatives. There's a storied history, of course, as far as the American relationship with nuclear energy and why that did or didn't take off in the 60s and 70s and why it's more proliferated in Europe. Nuclear reactor. Yeah, I looked into this because I thought it was so interesting. Nuclear reactors, of course, in the 70s were were lower cost, but there there was a sense that potentially from an environmental perspective, if you had an issue, it was going to be a big issue. It's like you don't get into a fender bender with nuclear reactors. You know, if something happens, it's not going to be not going to be good. Having said that, it's been really successful in Europe. And so the idea that Microsoft would potentially tow in as a private company and look to optimize from an energy perspective, I find fascinating and encouraging because I think energy diversity, for lack of a better way of putting it, will be a boon to tech. I don't think it can hurt tech in any way. I think it can only help. So yeah. do, you, do you have thoughts here? I, I, uh, I think going forward, we know that we need energy for powering the, our machines and, and cooling. Actually, a lot of energy goes into cooling, like on the data center. That's right. It's a lot of heat. Uh, so that is there. And, and recently, uh, Sam Altman, which is the CEO and founder of OpenAI, um, the parent company which that, that does chat GPT, right? So that um, gentleman has also invested money, actually a lot of money into fusion-based um, power uh, creation. It's going to be a huge, big sort of advancement. So the cost of energy will go almost towards zero with fusion there's livermore lab here like uh, 30 miles that way um in the bay area they they have they have been working on this uh, uh technology that, that's a pu public sector you know government uh, entity um on on this technology for last you know 20 years or so and they had a breakthrough and uh, private companies are picking that up and then they want to build that so by, by the way microsoft what, 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 what i was going to mention was the microsoft already wrote down a contract with Sam Altman's company to buy that power from their company in 2028, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, in future. So there's a contract in place. So Microsoft is actually um, looking at the the power or energy uh, sources, cheaper, better, greener, um, um, I yes. think. Uh, for, for right reasons and it's long-term planning and also it makes them like look like very um visionary brand in a way yeah and i think it reads the room correctly as far as the american enterprise because sustainability as an initiative is becoming more and more important you know companies have goals and in, if you have a solution that potentially you know offered by microsoft slash open AI, what, wh whoever and however that ends up being consumed, I think that sort of scratches the itch that we're seeing in a lot of enterprises. And, and again, I think it's great because we know that power consumption from 
a data center perspective and from an enterprise perspective is only going to go up because all the initiatives that we have are going to require power. And so I like seeing that organizations are pursuing it from both ends of the spectrum. Of course, looking at making the the hardware in those data centers more energy efficient and more sustainable. And then of course the actual energy that powers them. That's that's pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I think that those are great sort of, you know, futuristic um advancements and and some have very sort of current implications as well. And yeah, and, and another thing talking about Microsoft, let's finish that part of the like brands, if you will, yeah, of the company. Mm -hmm. Microsoft had closed uh, their $69 billion acquisition of Activision uh, just uh, a few days back. And, um, and they made a lot of concessions, means like a lot of changes to get the approval from the UK authorities. So the, the fear was that the other, um, th they will hold a grip on the mobile gaming. And they said, okay, we will not touch these distribution channels, like the way the games are installed on which devices and what operating systems for the next 15 years. I remember um, Oracle making a promise to the market, you know, for that we will not touch the PeopleSoft software for 10 years like you know so to get that deal done you know it just you know to please the regulators so that went through um that that's that and then um adobe max let's talk about the technology and practitioners and like more of a hands-on kind of stuff adobe max happened uh last week and uh, and and late last week i installed um the latest version of uh, I I, uh, I subscribe to prescribe subscribe to uh, Adobe uh, products right and the suite you know um, the cloud offerings right and the, the the stuff they are putting out there is so like it's like wow so I did uh, generative AI fill on you know a few pictures on. Uh, Photoshop but that was that's that okay you know like I put a horse here put a you know like a, a sparrow here it's all that kind of stuff right it, it does that right In, into exist, existing pictures right but they are doing that to video now like on the fly you can change what people are wearing the colors and and put a hat on somebody and then it moves like video is a lot of pictures put together kind of thing right so it just does a great job um so so the future of uh, media is is like uh i don't know bright i guess in in but also confusing in many ways like what's real and what's not you know how do you tell yeah it is a little we we talked about this before starting to record that it is a little scary in a way it's fascinating and some of it's beautiful it's also a little little unnerving i i played with adobe express so one of the things that i think is interesting too is you know not just in their core suite of offerings but even in adobe express which is a newer sort of lightweight low cost subscription model that they have some of the gen ai features even in adobe express will take somebody like me who's not a graphic designer, enjoys pretty things and enjoys making 
pretty things, but doesn't necessarily have a lot of time to do it. You know, and even if you think about work applications, if you have a presentation you need to jazz up, you know, do you really need a full-on Duet AI from Google or Copilot? Maybe, or, you know, maybe something like an Adobe Express would be sufficient. So we're seeing all this cross-pollinating with these with these companies, you know, taking maybe a, a work presentation from zero to 60. Yeah, let's double click on that a little bit. Um, I think the, the AI usage by different people in different flavors, it is a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. So the ISVs, independent software vendors, what we call them, you know, if you put, if you widen the definition, even Microsoft is an ISV or even Adobe is an ISV. But if you go one level lower, so who will be using the services coming from Microsoft, AWS, Google? Um, that's more infrastructural AI services, if you will, right? Um, that, I think that will be most of the ISVs, which are second tier ISVs. So first tier ISVs like uh, Adobe, right? The bigger ISVs, you can, you can call them. They will be cooking up their own AI, large language models for their own products, of course, but also making it more widely adopted by the by the masses. So there's an application aspect to uh, this is how I see it. There's an application aspect to the of uh, AI, like you use it, you know, like as end user, it's an application for you, right? But then there's a platform sort of aspect, you know, which is like which other people who develop applications will use, right? So that's the, I think the main distinction, but the, the spectrum, you know, in between, there will be companies, for example, oh, the, the, this is an interesting one. Um, there's, a, there's a news, it's not confirmed yet, that AWS will use Microsoft Office. Um, it's, um, it's a big deal, you know? Huge contract, uh, like over, you know. Yeah billion two billion dollar contract yeah 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 so so that tells you tells us that that it's even if you're producing ai yourself but you may not have an application which your workforce needs to produce that ai you know so you will use somebody else's ai based application or ai enabled application to build your ai so it's like a you know like as a farmer, I belong to a farming family. So we didn't grow everything. So like whatever we didn't grow, we buy from somebody else. It's still at the end of the day, it's a crop, right? So yeah, that's uh, how I see it. That's a fair, fair analogy. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is, that is a noteworthy story that AWS is going to become a Microsoft 365 customer. I, you know, we're starting to see these cross alliances that will endure i mean you don't they're not that one's gonna stick for a while because you don't walk into something like that and do it for two years you know i'm no doubt that aws has thought about this for quite yeah, for long quite term. Some time. Uh, of course what, what were their options i mean like i did the tweet as um, somebody did tag me in the tweet and so like i replied to say okay a couple of things like what were their other options google google's productivity software built yeah i mean you know aws chime you know they were using chime for 
you know, really everything. And I don't know what'll happen to time, you know, now that they're going to be consuming some Microsoft offerings, but you know, the, the classic build versus buy, I think, and maybe they just decided it wasn't worth building, building. I think building doesn't make sense in this case. Um, but also that, that that's one thing that that's one aspect, what are, what are their options building it or going to the other, you know, party, which is in this case, Google, everything, everybody else is below, you know, like a big distance between Microsoft and Google are at parity almost, but then the third player is like, who else is that, you know, WordPerfect or something, I don't know, open source. So, so that's there. And the second thing is interesting. So I think aspect is that these both companies are in Seattle, right? So the physical proximity of the companies next to each other, that matters. So I, I thought maybe they want to keep the, the whole, you know, cloud cloud in Seattle. They don't want to, they don't want Silicon Valley to take that, um, any of that. Um, so if, that crown, if you will, going forward. Right. So <laughs> like, hard to know. So hard to know. Yeah. I'm always like, okay, Silicon Valley and Seattle is like this especially in yeah. cloud, you know, like, Hey, we are stronger than you. And they say, Oh, right. no, no. Now with AI, I think we are stronger. Definitely. We are stronger in the Bay area. So yes, it's in the air. AI is in the air in the Bay area. All right. So yeah. So, HashiCorp. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say going to, going to HashiConf, um, which happened last week and some of the other news I, might start with some of the other news and then we can talk about some of what was covered in HashiConf, which, you know, some, some new announcements, but, uh, one of those new announcements and tangential related news story was the fact that Terraform will not be supported with a Mozilla public license anymore. In other words, it's not going to be open source. It's going to, they're going to have, um, the business source license and which, essentially means that Hashi HashiCorp has opted to do away with the open source version of Terraform. So of course there's been a lot of kick up about this and uh, Dave McJanet, I saw an interesting interview with him on CNBC, the, the CEO of HashiConf. And so when he was asked sort of pointedly about, well, there's been a, a lot of an uproar as a result of Terraform not being open source anymore. It's, you know, much beloved. How do you think this is going to play out? And he didn't seem that concerned about it. He said, you know, this is a well-known model in the industry moving gradually toward, you know, monetization away from open source. So he referenced MongoDB and Confluent. I don't necessarily think those are the best comparisons but he does seem to have the sense that, as he put it, the 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 secular trends, as he put it, the long-term trends of the cloud market aren't going away. Terraform's well embedded in the enterprise. And so he seems pretty optimistic that they will continue forward as they have been. And, um, you know, of course, the, the licensed customers, they have that portfolio kind of reads as a, as a who's who. So it's going to be bumpy for in the short term. I think in a way it was something necessary that they needed to do as a publicly traded company now because the long-term futures, the financials of the company need cash. So what do you, what do you think, Sarbjeet? 
I I I thought like of Terraform, Terraform, uh, HashiCorp, like a a great brand which can it can be consequential for multi multi cloud consumption and it can simplify things for a lot of enterprises. You know, by having like standard sort of scripting languages and for orchestration of you know infrastructure which is becoming code but but they they are kind of lost to, to be honest with you they are first they were very pure-minded you know i always say that pure-minded people don't individually don't make much money you know if you're very pure in your intentions like you're doing it for the love of it you know blah blah, blah then and, and business side is not taken into account then you will lose right you will not make much money but you will get a lot of publicity and then it's very very catchy brand because they have terraform right because they are parents of terraform but are they making money no so on that note i should double click on that and think what is why they're not making money you know like there used to be a company called right scale right scale was very hot company when the cloud was just getting born and um good valuation and they partnered partnered with us at rackspace when we used to be number two cloud after you know aws we were number two for some time i, I have said that many times in our <laughs> podcast and then right scale was there but then they stumbled you know they kept on like they clinged to a couple of things and they just they couldn't get out of that right in in hashicorp's case what i concluded is this i mean there are many other reasons I would love to get the, our listeners uh, and viewers f- feedback and yours as well, of course, that the Terraform was their loss leader, right? The loss leader is, is, a, is a pricing mechanism. Like you, you give something away free or very low cost, and then you will make the money from other high margin products, right? Which the, that thing I learned from on my first job at McDonald's Corporation there, the Big Mac was the loss leader in 94, 95, 96 timeframe. It was used to be 98 cents. Big Mac is the, the juiciest burger, but it was the cheapest. And like, wow, why? You know, they give the best thing cheap because they make tons of money on fries and soda, right? So, so the, it, the, the Big Mac of HashiCorp was, you know, Terraform. But the problem was the gap between the loss leader the, the the relationship between the loss leader and other products it was not very well defined like when you need terraform you didn't need the other things but when you when you bought the burger you needed the soda you needed it right maybe fries were luxury but soda was like uh, you needed it right by the way soda now at mcdonald's is the is the last leader because always one dollar drink doesn't matter how big drink you get these yeah. days it's one dollar, so that that brings you in into the door. Once you get soda, you have to get something to eat with it, right? So, I, I worked on their product um, um, tab to do these promotions. That's how I understand like how they do stuff, play with human psychology. So yeah, I think the gap between Terraform and other portfolio of their products was is huge, and and doing what they are doing right now is not going to help. I don't think so. Not, not keeping it open source will not help. But uh, by the way, having said that, a lot of companies, not a lot of, few companies have done this. So they, they will, it's not like it's not open. So they will have the open source like a branch going on and community will, will like, a, like a keep it alive. 
but they will they will have like more proprietary stuff on tacked on top of it which the only they will serve with, through the licenses um which is okay I, okay moral i think they i think they have to go the, the route of the what, what um uh, red hat did to linux linux is free but then if yeah, you need to support I was and all that bring up red hat yep you sort yeah. of the that's the that's the dream sort of the a model as far as taking something that's open source and turning it into a a commercial model the you know historically red hat has done that really really well yeah keith thompson said that in a very clever way i think he, he was spot on he said hashicorp moves um, much faster than cio moves where our vmware moves at the speed of cio or maybe it's a little slower but but hashicorp moves much faster than cio is moving so they they have a lot of products uh, which are very futuristic and which are very um for people who are um have have heavy appetite for change if you will mm -hmm. right um but and they're they're actually, in the yeah. security space and everything like like they're trying to do too many things i think that yeah yeah in response to so i think keith keith's observation is correct you know they are they are more futuristic it doesn't seem in that sense like they're the eye on the ball the ball that they have their eye on is not necessarily the cio it's it's clearly the developer and you know an analogy that i've used in the past relates to baseball so i i used to i grew up watching uh major league baseball with my dad it's a a fond memory that i have you know going to ball games and you know, a, a new park was built in our city. And so we went to the last game in the old park and, you know, just things like that that were kind of cool. But uh, Ken Burns has a documentary on baseball that's really fantastic. And one of the things that he talks about in history of baseball is the shift from the preeminence of the owner to the preeminence of the celebrity player. Because what happened was, you know, early players, your Babe Ruths, your Jackie Robinsons, they actually were not very well compensated and they were at the behest of the owners. The owners were the ones who made the real money. But as, as they found out through the press, players became really popular. And so the crowds would come to see Babe Ruth. They would come to see Jackie Robinson. They wouldn't come to see so-and-so own the team. Um, and so there was this gradual power shift in, in the baseball industry. And I think we're watching one of those right now. Uh, this the the CIO, you know, will still exist, but we're we there has already been a power shift from so-called you know tech administration to the developer, and so I think Hashi, in that sense, is trying to go where the ball is moving. They're 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 shifting with developers, you know, in a lot of companies now. The developers have kind of an outsized influence in terms of the company's corporate IT strategy because those those applications in some cases the internal rights that they have are are considered the crown jewels and so i i actually think that there's a there's some prescience that that hashi is is showing but i do think that the the real world unfolding of this is is going to be a little bit tricky for them for sure <laughs> Yeah. So I can kind of see it is what I'm saying, but it's going to be, it'll be challenging. Yeah. I think, I think your analogy is great actually. And, and I love that these kind of analogies, like, um, like how this shift happens in one industry and then 
what were the patterns and who were the players, you know, there are stakeholders, there's economics, there's political environment, there's the confluence of factors, you know, which impacts, you know, everything, right? So, but for HashiCorp, I think, not for HashiCorp only, but any company which does like more, that, that tries to help like two different, like uh, personas at high level, macro level, even if you think about it, like devs and ops, right? They tend to get lost, you know, CA, BMC, you know, you look at them, right? Old guard, if you will, DevOps kind of companies, right? Here, HashiCorp is the modern DevOps kind of, like, hey, where are you focused on developers or, or, or operators? But by the way, if you can do that, but you have to be, you have to have the clear distinction between developer product product line and ops related product line. When you mix it, the, the, your messaging is convoluted, your pricing is convoluted, your partnerships are convoluted. So it just messes up everything if you try to put all these products under one umbrella or one category. So the categorization of products is, is an important aspect of, you know, messaging and go to market strategy and pricing and partnerships and you know how you how you bring products to life. Uh, we can go on on, on about this and go into the nuances of, you know, like a, at a lower level, like architect versus developer, versus senior developer versus like junior developer, front end, back end, you know, game developer versus B2B. Now they are actually uh, interesting sort of um, tangent here a little bit that I was thinking like um, I was I was at single store uh, now conference yesterday and a lot of good demos there you know like uh, there's a lot of code being shown on the screens right I'm like we like you like you, people think that with the advent of AI with the you know new sort of inventions in generative AI we will need less coders right I'm like no way we need more coders at least for short term Agreed. like all, all yeah so the how we tame the AI beast, we need a lot more coders, a lot more uh, frameworks and 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 yeah platforms to the, yeah, streamline the, the AI. The um yeah. the term augmented intelligence has not gone into very wide circulation. And I think part of the reason for that is I actually I used to work for the company that owns the copyright on that term augmented intelligence it's a it's a software and analytics company and so they they kind of grabbed it early that's really what generative ai is it's augmented intelligence and the reason is because at the end of the line once something has been created a human still has to vet it and i think that's true of of developers you know of course we all have this dream of everything being fully automated but what we mean is humans have made the decisions and machines go out and enact and there still has to be a human you know at the at the end of the line so to speak just to to keep an eye and to to make sure it's what was expected that things are behaving as expected because from a software perspective of course just like anything else you have to make sure that you know it behaved as expected yeah system is working as designed on on that note just uh our U.S. Congress is speakerless. <laughs> System is functioning that designed, right? But that doesn't mean it's designed properly. Like we were talking before we, we started recording, mm -hmm. like 
okay if if our president is no more for whatever reason right in us then vice president kicks in there's a redundancy planned for it you know we have a redundancy in the system but for the speaker we don't if the speaker is not there we can't pick another speaker for the timing that's like a flaw in our system so talking about the systems thinking i think uh, we need to teach these uh, give these classes to the folks who make laws yeah from a civics perspective you know in in terms of the history of how some of those nominations and appointments uh shook out one thing that I think in modern times we've become skittish of that they actually didn't used to once upon a time, and this may account for a little bit of the disparity, is that they weren't afraid to put things to a vote repeatedly. When uh, Thomas Jefferson became president and there was a, you know, the situation with, you know, Aaron Burr maybe could have become president, they voted on that over a dozen times. I can't remember exactly how, how many times, you know, for, for some of these historic elections, you know, early, early in the framing and, and even, you know, later on, they weren't afraid to vote on something 20, 30 times, uh, which is ruling, but it, it was, that was a behaving as expected system acting as designed situation. And so you just kind of, hash they you know congress was expected to hash it out vote after vote until a consensus was reached which of course you know that that opens up situations of what happens in the intervening period and what happens in the halls and of course everybody talks about the the storied smoke-filled room and all that but we we've had um we've had two votes now on another so steve steve scalise withdrew and, you know, now now we have a situation where we've gone through two votes and couldn't get it done. Uh, but um, historically speaking, we in the congressional system. It, it's it's all messed up. Like so these eight, nine very right wing folks, it could have been on the left side. I mean, I'm not affiliated with any party that way. So like you pick any party, right? So few friend not fringe elements but extremists in their thinking if you will right the, the far right in this case these people are like uh blocking everything like i i mean doesn't it make sense that once you have a majority party majority of that party only not the whole should be able to pick a speaker not the whole I mean, it, it kind of makes it makes sense because majority of the whole like opposition party is also included but if you do that only few people can can just you know hold you hostage actually this is mm -hmm. this is the hostage situation in, in political it, it kind of is yeah and although i will say when you have such a razor thin majority and <laughs> we we theoretically i mean we should be dealing with a raucous enough you know free enough uh group of people on either side of the party line that, you know, a few people will have objections. And so that's some of the innate inefficiency of the system, the, the, but it is, it is irksome that a handful of, of individuals could, could, uh, I, I, I think some customs, 
Some customs are stupid. Like, I don't think anybody can stop a Democrat to vote for their speaker. I mean, it's not a law that you can't vote for. I mean, they don't because it's a party customary thing. Like, oh, you will look fool if you do that. But why can't you do that for the sake of the country? You know, but this is um, where the human factor comes into play. Systems thinking, folks. Yeah. Yeah. When you design a system, make sure there's a redundancy in place. U.S. Congress doesn't have that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. And I would, I would say the bow on that is, you know, you're from, from your perspective, U.S. Congress doesn't have that. From my perspective, the redundancy is redundancy, which is voting repeatedly, which that isn't very, you know, that isn't much, much fun either. But uh, But, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That, That also depends on system size and, what 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 is a part of a system it's a subsystem if you will or is it a macro system so in this case like double clicking a little bit more now you have mentioned more things um, <laughs> that, that, that that i have to make my point now so okay where i'm going with this is that if you have a bigger system oh yeah i lost my power oh my god no no actually no i got it i got it back so because they are small they can vote again and again right can you can you can you think about the whole u.s public voting again and again because they can't make up their mind about who the president is yeah right Mm -hmm. like they can't vote like 10 times in a week or something but because you have fewer people sitting in these chambers and we are paying for you in nice particular hotel, circumstances, et cetera, so et cetera. You can afford to do that. So the economics matters, the size matters, the proximity matters, and the whole design of the system matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Agreed. No, I think that's a great, a great uh, landing of the analogy for sure. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. I, I, I think sometimes it's fun to discuss these things that like, you know, in, and, and go into these uh, more details. All right, uh, what else? Did we miss something? Uh, uh, oh, Apple lost the top spot in China, actually. Yeah, that's another thing. You know, they have a seven, seven nanometer chip in Huawei phone, and um, there are other phones as well, of course, and uh, Apple's uh, uh, iPhone 15 is not doing great. There are a lot of rumors around it getting hot, and, and battery, actually, I have it. I bought it. I, upgraded from 12 um and it, i i i upgraded for the mainly for battery life and it's not better than 12 it's just oh really interesting okay it's just a, it dies by the end almost like at, by nine ten o'clock it's like oh it's just like five percent left maybe i'm i'm not actually using more than i uh, earlier but i think it's just because i was in a train yesterday at a conference i was not using much but it's, it's something is wrong with the with their OS or something. I don't know where it is. Uh, or their chips are very demanding on the energy or whatever. That's uh, a pity. So yeah. that's there. Yeah. And circling back to where we started at the top with with Israel, you know, I don't think either of us felt it was appropriate to jump right into some of the tech mm-hmm. unfoldings given given the human situation. So we wanted to pay tribute there. But uh, you know, from a from a tech perspective, there are some worth considering things happening, you know, as a result of the the situation in Israel. A lot of really major tech companies, of course, you know, AWS, you know, Apple does, Intel does, 
have R&D centers, major R&D centers in Israel. And so, you know, the unfolding there will continuing to be interesting. You know, I know that some Israeli startups are starting to potentially look for for other homes, at least for the for the time being, because of the the gravity of the situation. Israel is the one big tech hub in Middle East. It's, it's the biggest one. They actually list more companies than U.S. and Germany combined on on Nasdaq. It's very hard hard to comprehend that fact. You know, the companies start there; they go public more than tech-wise, right? More than German and U.S. combined. There's a book written on it, Startup Nation, right? And um, it's a pretty thick book. Uh, I love that place. I love the creativity of of those people. I have a lot of friends there. Um, Avitalavashi, you know, Gili Ranan, uh, he's a VC here. Uh, and, you know, Tamara. I know these people uh, individually. I spent time with them. We worked together in... I feel for them. I feel for for them, and I also like. I don't know people on the other side, but I also feel for them as well. Like because they're people, you know. But anyways, um, closing. Just play. Uh, just pray. Actually, just pray for the peace. Actually, everybody should pray for the peace and calm down the situation. There's a lot of goodness out there. Please tap into the goodness and just uh, look good, good in people, and you will get best out of them. That's how it works. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Um, always, always a pleasure to discuss with you, Sarbjeet. So I yeah. look forward to the next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to For Instance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, please feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. When we're not recording, you can find Sarbjeet reacting to and discussing current enterprise tech news on Twitter or X. His handle is at Sarbjeet Joal. And you can find me, Sarah Music, on LinkedIn, interacting with tech news or occasionally posting a literature quote. We welcome your feedback and we'll see you next time.